0: This is the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 427, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. Hello, welcome to the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 427. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and joining me are Paul Montgomery. Hey there. And joining us in lieu of new daddy, Josh Flanagan, is Allie Coluccio. Bonjour. You are, I hear you're a more Scotch than woman these days.
1: Uh, I am. I, there was a little bit of blood in my alcohol system, so I had to grab another <laughs> drink.
0: Um, you, Allie just got back from uh, Scotland and yes. uh, brought some booze back with her. A
1: lot.
0: Mostly in her bloodstream.
2: My homeland. <laughs>
0: But Josh, you may or may not know if you are on social media, he is not here because he uh, very uh, unexpectedly early had uh, another son. Well, his wife did. He just sort of stood around and didn't do anything. But his wife uh, bore him Henry Jack Flanagan. So congratulations to Josh, to his wife Lindsay, to uh, their son Oliver, to the dog George, <laughs> Looney the jo- dog. And uh, we're happy for all of them. And everything Josh, went
2: really well, apparently. Everything so. went really
0: well. Everyone's healthy and happy. The uh, baby looks very suspicious in all of his photos, which <laughs> I, I love. And
2: uh, Josh is apparently crying constantly, and
0: he 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 may or may not be back next week. We have no idea. So it's funny, a changed is
2: that, man. No more cynicism. He's he's like Ebenezer Scrooge at the end of A Christmas Carol, and <laughs> buying everybody the biggest turkey in the store. And
0: yeah. what's funny, a little behind the scenes, is that uh, after last week's show, we had a little meeting about upcoming scheduling because the baby was, of course, expected in the next month, and. Josh was like, but we don't have to worry about it for a while, it's going to be fine. And then, <laughs> and then on, uh, I think the day, no, the Monday after that, I got a text message that I'm driving saying, the baby's coming right now! And so, uh, there, here we are. So thank you, Allie, for stepping in, uh, your lovely and gracious host.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And uh, as a way of explanation, we are a fanboy, and we like comics. Every week we read a bunch of comics. One of us picks the best comic they read, we talk about it in the show, along with the other books of the week other topics of interest, some audience questions. It's a fun, happy time, and hopefully nobody gives birth on on during the show, although that'd be awesome for- I can't
2: make any promises. Listeners. <laughs> um, I've,
1: for- s- I've still got at least four minutes between my contractions.
0: Oh, perfect. We'll try to get get going then. Before we get to the show, though, a quick reminder and warning of the review show, so there'll be some spoilers. If you haven't read your book, please come back and, uh, after you're done so you're not angry about getting spoiled and we don't have to hear you, read your emails and hear your voicemails and things like that. Paul, you had to pick.
2: Yeah, I went with uh, the Batman 29. It's part of the New 52. Just looking at the cover here. Um, this is what in France they would refer to as one of them Tordy forces. Uh, <laughs> this was this was a big blockbuster of a comic. Uh, I have been enjoying Zero Year so far. Although I did enjoy that little brief um, intermission we had last month. The uh, flash where, forward. Yeah, we got to see the flash forward and then the return of spoiler. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Um, but this was, this is the sort of the end of, I guess, act two of zero year. And I think
0: that's probably fair. Yeah.
2: It's the end it's, it's broken. And I think the story's broken into three parts and this is the dark city part of it with, um, Dr. Death, who's just creepy as hell. And, um, I think this one, um, you know, there were, there were a lot of good books this week, but the creative team on this book was just pushing the envelope. Like I think every everybody was just firing on all cylinders, and colors in here are amazing. Um, I think this is some of Greg Capullo's best work on the yeah. book. Yeah, it's just really, really strong. And as Allie pointed out on the social media, there's dirigibles, and um, there is. I'm, there are
1: several dirigibles.
2: I
0: I, I I I applaud Gotham's commitment to the dirigible, including the uh, logo for the new Gotham TV show has them in the background. Yeah. So uh you I, you gotta appreciate that but this was the issue paul we've been talking about waiting for you know yeah. this was a riddler story we know zero year was a riddler story and we, we riddler's been there in the background he you know the, the blackouts happened but we've been waiting for him to really cause the trouble that would lead to the thing that opened the story up which was batman on a steam bike with with gotham having returned to the savage land in a, in, <laughs> yeah. in a way and here's Flooded subways happened. and yeah Here's what happens: where uh, the Riddler's plan put into place, and he ends up blowing up the retaining walls just as Hurricane Irene or Renee, Rene, sorry, Renee. Yeah. Uh, Hurricane Irene's a real thing. Hurricane Super Renee, uh, <laughs> Superstorm Renee. You're right. Uh, it's Gotham, so and thus flooding, beginning the flood of the city, which we assume will lead to chaos and horses becoming more popular again. But um, you're right. This is the issue we waited for, and I, I loved it. I loved, especially the end sequence that was mostly silent. Oh yeah, which I thought was just wonderful.
2: You get, I mean, we've gone back to that well of Crime Alley time and time again, but this one, there was this great human element to it, where instead of feeling like these archetypes, you know, like like Mary and Joseph or something, Bruce's parents feel like real people, mm-hmm. and Dad cares about, you know, his favorite movie. He loves the Zorro movie. And that opening
1: scene was fantastic.
2: It it really is. That that opening page and that, that chilling poster for the Gotham uh, G C P D don't right. be afraid, join us. It's pretty scary. Um, but there's this Norman Rockwell quality to seeing them on the bench and Bruce's legs not even his feet not even reaching the floor. And we revisit that at the end where Batman really feels that he's failed Gotham City and this is this is Batman just starting out with the purple gloves and everything and he he and I th- and I think Gordon both feel like man I screwed up uh, this just went way too far and well they they completely
0: underestimated the Riddler they completely underestimated his plans even though Batman had an inkling and by the end has figured out the real plan he's powerless to stop it and I love those two moments that got me the first was as Batman's fighting dr Death to uh prevent the the, uh, the Riddler's plan from happening, which is taking over the power grid. Um, he's got a little device that's going to help him, and Dr. Death knocks it out of his hand and go, f- goes skittering off the edge of this tower and falls in- away, and that's the moment Batman realizes it's over. And it's it it was the quiet no. Like, he screams no when it first falls, and then there's, a, yeah. there's another panel where he just sort of sits very quietly, and that's sort of the, se- the moment where you can tell uh he knows there's no coming back now and then of course the end sequence in which we cut between the murder of his parents and the the wall being blown the walls being blown and the city getting flooded batman you know in in anger and rage just pounding on the console powerless to stop it uh his two greatest failures up to this point happening intercha- inter, you know, intertwined on all silent i thought it was just amazing
2: this was just i thought so cinematic and mm-hmm. huge just the reveal of the bat blimp. And I I like him. I like the interaction between him and Alfred and, and basically, Alfred's like a blimp, really? <laughs> and he's like, you know, it was, it was, it already came in black. Uh, you know, I like that sort of thing, but it just, it just feels like such a great reveal when you see that huge blimp. And it's is, the goddamn Batman. And it's the goddamn Batman <laughs> with the, with the sensor. And when you first see Dr. Death in all his bony glory, um, It's just gruesome and incredible, you know, the movies figured out that, you know, you you sort of want one sort of cerebral villain and then one kind of heavy sort of villain. And they've used that to, you know, good or ill in some cases with the movies. But I think it's a formula that works a lot with the bigger Batman stories. And I think it works here. So you have the Riddler as sort of the man behind the scenes. And then even though Dr. Helfern is... You know, a world class mind. Um, he's warped, and he becomes sort of a clayface like monster. Mm-hmm. And you also get to see in his interaction with Batman just how much of a loose cannon young Batman is. Like he just rips that one <laughs> node off of his head and uses it to <laughs> slam at the console, and it's just so matter of fact he just rips it right off. Right. And um, if it, you know if the, if there's if there's I think one one critique of the issue, it would be. Um, Doctor Death's sort of soliloquy—a little long about Tokyo Moon. It's just considering how tense that moment is. It's a—it's a little bit verbose, but other than that, um, I thought it was—it was a great script and some of their—they're really their best work. Uh, colors, inks, and these layouts are just—just just incredible. So,
0: Ali, Ali, you haven't really. Read this whole series, but you I read mean, this whole story, but you jumped on for this issue for the show. What did you think of it, having not really read the back story? Um,
1: I was a little bit worried um, because I knew this was kind of like smack in the middle of everything. Um, but you know i like I like to just jump in <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was it was everything that I really like about Snyder and Capullo's Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, I really loved it in the beginning and then it just kind of felt like it was getting too decompressed for me and, you know, I had a lot of books and I was cutting down and, um, it was a tough decision that I kind of stopped picking this up. Um, and so I'm really glad that I picked it up because it reminded me of why I love this book and, um, why I was picking it up every month. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I might have to go back in and <laughs> fill in what was going on before, or at the very least,
0: go forward with this. I think now, yeah. now that we get to the part of the story where, we're, where I assume we're going to flash forward and Gotham is going to be uh, in a whole different place that we've ever seen before, it's going to be really interesting.
2: Yeah, and you know, I I, I really am. I really liked the way that uh, Snyder handled the Joker in in that previous arc, but here I think the Riddler is sort of the perfect mm-hmm. rogue for him. Um, just the, the, the love of puzzles and, you know, um, I, I he's set up some really great mechanisms for him. I, I love the big boulder, you know, hanging mm-hmm. by a string. And yeah. that's a good reminder. You know, I I love uh, Batman Year One, and a lot of that is because of uh, Jim Gordon. And Jim Gordon plays a really big role here as well. And just how he cannot get anything done in this movie. <laughs> <hard>. No <laughs> one is going to help him out. So, um. I'm excited to see where where Gordon's story takes us as well.
0: Man, I really love that jump from the blimp. We've uh, talked about cinematic. The uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can make it. If I jump far enough, I can. And then there's that one page shot of the lightning, a very Dark Knight Returns esque, with him jumping with the lightning in the background, fully silhouetted. And then the, even the next panel with him shooting the grappling hook.
2: Oh yeah, I yeah. loved.
0: Just a great Capullo is, he is a monster.
2: Just a, a tense action sequence high up in the air um you know and the rain it's sort of everything it's just a perfect storm literally and uh and you're right about that final sequence um that shot of the gun with the bullet leaving the gun you can just sort of feel everything going in slow motion everything is going wrong right and and he's thinking about the worst he he can't it's just he
0: can't do anything he can see it slipping away he can't do anything about it and for a guy like Batman, that's the worst possible thing that yeah. can happen.
2: Very, I I loved yeah. the issue, but then that final sequence was just sort of the exclamation point on everything. And, right. uh, I was like, no, nah, this is the pick. So another
0: week, another Image number 1. This time a little different. It's the Stray Bullets Killers number 1, which is the uh, second volume of the famous Stray Bullets series from David Lapham, who writes and draws, and this was something he did for a long, very big indie book. They published for a long time by himself, and now he's moved over to Image. And I'd never read Bulls before.
2: I hadn't either. Um, but
0: uh, we used to talk about it regularly on the show. Josh and Ron were big fans of it. But they used to talk about how bleak and nihilistic it was. And so I, I sort of stayed away from that. Um, although I do love crime stories, which is what basically what these are. But I figured, what the hell, this is a new new volume, new era. Check it out. And it's uh, pretty
2: bleak. Yeah, that
1: sounds about right.
2: (laughs) For a story that opens up with kids talking about seeing boobs, and I'll draw you a picture of them, and like they're clamoring, you know, draw me one, draw me one, and it's like they're pretty easy, you know. It's like, have you touched one? No, I've just sort of seen. I can draw them though, and you know, and for it to end with a brutal sequence of an intentional car crash, and then. Murder. The, the boy dying, dad getting his throat slit upside down by these killers. Um, this and was, his eyes cut out. I this, mean,
0: this is yeah. like this is some mutilation. He snubbed him right?
2: out. Yeah. yeah. This um, was. Uh, yeah. This was. This was pretty dire. I got, but I got to say that
1: was not where I, 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 I have turned the page and I was like that escalated quickly. Yeah.
2: That's what I, that's what I love about it though. Um, this was very close to being the pick. Um, it, but it was, it was one of those weird situations where it's like a, t- it was a total apples and oranges thing. Sure. Um, I feel like, I feel like any other week this, this might have been the pick, but I, uh, I'm really excited about this moving forward and going back and reading from 1995 on those, what, 42 issues. Yeah. Oh, straight so bullets.
0: basically, let's just give a brief overview. So the story, as you said, uh, it's a young boy who has discovered his father's strip club addiction by uh, sneaking out with him in the back of his car, then somehow sneaking, very, very super spy-esque, sneaking into the strip club. He's like club. going through vents
2: and stuff. I was like, wow.
0: <laughs> really wanted to see those moves. Um, watching <laughs> the strippers and seeing his father go off and get lap dances while his mother is working and discovers that and, and meets some characters along the way, including, uh, what's his name? Uh, Scotty. Yeah. Long haired, uh, mustache, you know, cool guy who likes star Wars and also is the muscle for the strip club. Apparently who I like also... that. I
2: like that where he and the, you know, he and the kid commiserate over liking star Wars more than star Trek, which is what the dad likes. And
0: right. Cause this takes place in 1978. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and we find out of course, that one of the young kid's friends his older sister has been secretly dancing Father becomes obsessed with her, and uh, apparently murders her. So we—it's not—it's—it's it's implied, very heavily implied, but uh, doesn't—they don't—we don't, we assume that's what happened. He ends up murdering her. Scotty, of course, was dating her at one point, so he gets mad, and as reven- revenge, kills the father and accidentally kills the son in the process. Although he doesn't seem to really care that he killed the son, but
2: yeah, woo! Um, it's such happy, a happy, fun times. All around, <laughs> I, you know, but I, I, I love crime though. And, uh, no, I, well, this, no, <laughs> and this was, I, it's, it's great when you discover something that has such a rich history so that you can actually go back and you, you don't have to wait. I mean, I'll be excited for issue two and three and what, you know, whatever to come out of this, but I can go back and look at the existing stray bullets that are just waiting there for me. <laughs> so I, I love when you find things like that. There's this treasure trove of stuff that's already in existence will you be staying on straight bullets killers
1: crime is not really my jam all the time
0: Crime, uh, boy, i don't know
1: yeah i mean it's it's a fantastic comic like i i appreciate um the talent behind it and it's definitely not for everybody it's great comic booking and graphic storytelling um
2: but it's, it's also just, graphic storytelling. It's also
1: graphic, and and it's not so much the graphic as the as the bleak, mm-hmm. nihilistic kind of thing. Um, it's so. it's
2: like Stand by Me if they all were if they all murdered in a grisly way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but it's a, sort of that vibe. I think it's like sort of coming of it. age. Yeah, yeah. I like the surprise. I, I I liked turning that page and going, whoa, this is you know this book isn't about who I thought it was about.
0: I I will probably read the next one. I, I mean, I do like it. I do like crime stories. If they're all like super bummers at the end, though, I might just I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> it was it was rough. It was rough. It was.
1: I mean, and it, it's definitely the book of all of the books that I read this week that I had the biggest reaction to. Which
0: is good. It, it, Which is
1: good. Of, I just I don't over. know if I want to have that reaction every month.
0: <laughs> the kid just wanted to see some boobs, and he ended up exactly. Dying. We Man. were all
1: talking about boobs. It was really Just great. Much, much and then... better
0: ways. Oh, poor kid. Never even got to touch one.
1: Captain
2: Marvel number one. Captain <laughs> Marvel number one. Um, this, is, this is interesting because, you know, Marvel, you know, um, is owned by Disney, which now also owns the Star Wars. And this feels very Star Wars. Like, we even see some tack in here <laughs> from, this is, this from the Moss Eisley Cantina. This is
0: not Miss Marvel.
2: No, this is, Captain, this, is no this is this is Captain just, Marvel. This is
0: Captain
2: Marvel. It's a new number one. It's a, so it's a it's a you know a new jumping on point. But basically, it's the mm-hmm. continuing story. And um, this is Carol decides that she, she's she's living in the Statue of Liberty, which I love. That's her new this apartment. Yes, living in the crown of the Statue of Liberty, and she's dating Rhodey, mm-hmm. and they sort of have this. They have a really fun relationship where both thinks they're you know a better pilot than the other. And so that's that's a great dynamic. And uh, Tony basically sets it up for her to go into outer space to return this this girl who's uh, basically a refugee after infinity because a lot of planets were destroyed um, in that. uh, that wave. yeah. That's fine. Yeah. So so. We're gonna I mean, go. I didn't
1: need that. I was just like random chick in a space capsule.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, we're so we're gonna take her back to space. So now it's so we're going on a space adventure, and so it's it's fun to have. I enjoyed Infinity. Um, I love the scope of it. I love space opera. Um, if there was one thing that was missing from Infinity, it was sort of the the more character oriented stuff, and you definitely get a lot of character uh, with what Kelly Sue DeConnick's doing with this character. Um, I think... And the extended cast.
1: Because um, I know Marvel kind of has this, like, almost seasons approach to the mm-hmm. books that they're doing. Um, and so, like, this this feels like a good season two yeah. opener. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, what I... This is consistently one of my favorite books. Um, and I just love Carol and her New York neighborhood. And, you know, she's best friends with Jessica. And she's got Kit and... It's mom mm-hmm. <laughs> she, i think <laughs> one of the, i think teachers. one of the
2: strongest parts of this book and from the previous volume is her extended cast yeah um, there's a real focus on that and what what they contribute you know to her as a it's, it's it's not a team book she's still a solo star um but they contribute a lot to her her mission statement yeah as, and i think
1: it's I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens without that same support system mm-hmm. that she's had, particularly after the whole amnesia-y thing Yeah, that she's going through.
2: Yeah, and I, I, you know, I would recommend going back and, and checking out Volume 1, but also if, if you've ever been curious, you can check out this, this new number one and you'll be fine. It pretty much explains everything. And we're going on a space adventure. We're going to a marketplace in outer space and getting in trouble. And some Star wars looking goodness. Seriously, there, I think there are some aliens that are like directly from Mos Eisley or the Boonta Eve classic. <laughs> <Just
1: hanging out. laughs> there, there are a couple that do definitely look like that.
2: Mm-hmm. So Superman Wonder Woman number six. Um, Allie, you're known as Wonder Allie. You're a big Wonder Woman fan. How do you feel about this relationship between these two? And this is, I mean, that's the sort of the center point of this issue in particular. Why are they a couple?
1: Why are they a couple? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so Superman and Wonder Woman aren't exactly a couple that I've ever really been particularly interested in mm-hmm. as a romantic couple. Um, but I do love superhero comic books and I do love relationship comic books and I do love Wonder Woman and I do love Superman. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're I, at odds. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's weird well bec- I'm sorry I'm just I'm very big on Superman and Lois like that's it's, you that's know what's interesting we've talked they'll about always in be the- my like OTP to use a phrase <laughs> from fandom
0: yeah we, we've it's interesting because we talked about in the past house you know DC doesn't seem to want them to go together but if, if you go back and like watch the Superman the animated series they were not even really a couple in that either I remember when I did my uh, write-up on the show for com, you know, there's there's like no romantic tension between them whatsoever. It's just interesting that that it keeps popping up like that, and I wonder why. But um, I would say if you're gonna do it, at least make it interesting. And so far, I find it this book to be fun mostly because I think Charles Soul is a really good writer.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I kind think. of I'm kind of exactly where you are with it. It's a fun book. A um, it might not be my favorite book that I'm reading, but I I like it, and it's he's a really good writer. I I like their back and forth.
2: Um, it's a really tricky book to talk about because I think his his portrayal of, of either character is pretty strong. I think his Wonder Woman in particular is really he good. Write, he could write either one of their solo I, books. I, I think yeah. so too. Um, yeah,
1: and I think he's. Um,
2: it's just a. It's just sort of a flawed premise of those two together, I think, it, I just, I just don't buy it.
1: It's a very New 52 book. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, I realize that might sound snarky, and I don't necessarily mean it to, but it it very much is. There's definitely
2: um, a New 52 feeling and a New 52 yeah, formula it's, out it's, there, and this is one of the books that has
1: it. Right. It's it's New 52 Batman, it's New 52 Wonder Woman. Um, but given all of those things... And that's fine. Given all of those things, I'm still enjoying this book. Yeah, it's not. I mean, I've made peace with the fact after JMS's run and reading that whole thing that I do not need to read a Wonder Woman book if I'm not enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And I'm enjoying this. I mean, it has there are there are points where I'm like, what are you doing? Like not to spoil things, but there is a giant nuclear explosion at the end of this issue. Well, this is, is a big throwdown
0: <laughs> between Superman, Wonder Woman, and Zod. And uh, Fayora. Which,
1: which has been amazing and fantastic. Um, I just feel like maybe they might be a little bit concerned about collateral damage to the Pacific Northwest. Right? There's Superman's <laughs> um, got
2: a collateral damage problem over the past couple of years.
0: They uh, in yeah. order to stop them uh, they take Wonder Woman's mystical sword and they split an atom with it which I thought was pretty cool and to it was cause cool and they,
1: I I like that they they do it together I like the he moment he can
2: see the atom like yeah. he, he can see he has that microscopic vision so he can see the atom she has the force and the artifact to slice through it so together by your powers combined they the will blow up a planet <laughs>
1: <laughs> it will blow up a planet, and it will be epic. Um, but I, I, I like their back and forth. I like the way Charles Soule writes that. I like that. Um, I guess it's two issues before this. They have the big, huge fight about, you know, Superman being Clark Kent and having that whole separate life, and right. Wonder Woman not knowing yeah. how to deal with it or how she fits in with that, or um, right. That's she what doesn't I no mean time for that. Yeah, yeah, no, she doesn't. I mean, she's she's got a weapon called like the lasso. That entry. is bullshit. She doesn't <laughs> She doesn't have time for that. Um but my absolute favorite thing, uh the one that made me running the the one that made me run directly to Twitter as I was reading this issue was the Invisible Chariot. Mm. Because cool. I I I always love the Invisible Jet no matter how ridiculous it is. I think right. I love it because it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um so a chariot, I kind of makes more sense with the whole Greek thing.
2: Right. Um, it's also more, yeah. It's more cohesive in terms, like it's bringing in these disparate parts of her mythology and actually making it part of the, right. the Greek, you know, hierarchy. You know. Um, stuff.
0: And I like the I like the commitment that DC has to keeping Superman in the most ridiculous outfits possible at all times. <sighs> oh, so okay. in this in this issue, uh, they. Wonder Woman and Superman don a special costumes to um, prevent... What is it for again? I forget. I
1: don't. I, I think it's it's the suits that, like, actually... like They're like a kinetic energy thingy, because basically it absorbs all it absorbs. of the hits yeah, that are oh, right, 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 from Zod and Feora, and then they hold hands. And I love that they kind of make fun of how cheesy it is. Yeah, <laughs> and right. they hold hands, and then the suit backfires all of the energy that it's absorbed.
0: Right, right, right. They yeah. just look dumb. I it did it yeah, and I think it,
2: we got to mention the exchange, you know, where Superman says "I love you" and she says, "Of course you do." I like that more because I like a Wonder Woman who says that. Okay, well, yeah. she
0: has more of an edge, and he, she always has had more of an edge than Superman does. Yeah, little... so I
2: so it's I, I don't necessarily buy Superman saying "I love you" to to Wonder Woman, but she's certainly worth loving. But I don't I don't know that they have the chemistry. Um,
0: well, I think the original sin of this whole thing is that we don't know Superman's character, or who he is, or why he does anything. Yeah.
2: So that's really, I mean, talk
0: about flawed premise. That's for me. I don't. I don't. Know I'm
2: I more willing to buy the Lana thing over an action comics. Or
0: yes, I yes, think they make a much better. Thing. Couple.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Not that they're a couple over there, but they, they're, you know, you know what I'm saying. It's a
2: will they or won't they kind of
0: thing. Paul. So, yeah. Um, Secret Avengers number one, which is the. Reboot of Secret Avengers, obviously, but it's the continu- it's Alice Cott who was who had been co-writing the previous Secret Avengers and yes. is right over on Zero and image. Uh solo solo writing this one. Anyway, Paul, what did you think? Because I had a lot of conflicting thoughts about this. The
2: artist is Michael Walsh. hmm Uh well. colors <laughs> who we all love. Colson. I used to say more Colson is always a good thing. Then Agents of Shield came on the air. And I don't know. I although I, I love Colson on that show, what I've watched of it. But what are your conflicts?
0: Well so this uh so this team is the secret of interest as the title suggests. They are the ones who do the, the uh covert operations and it includes uh Hawkeye who's I do like the fact that he's he's on the team but not like they don't want him on the team, but he's always around. <laughs> they
1: don't want him on the team, but he keeps showing up.
0: <laughs> right. Uh Black Widow, Spider Woman. And then fake Nick Fury and Agent Phil Coulson, and also uh, this issue we've had the addition of Modok, who uh, in the last series had become they Shield had brought him into the fold, and it's all run by uh, Director Hill. And uh, I thought the art was fantastic. I didn't know the
1: art and the colors on this were really great.
0: I was not expecting that when I opened it up. It's like, oh, this is interesting. Um, It, I mean, it it seems to borrow heavily from the hawkeye vibe which is a good thing Mm -hmm. but uh it at times felt a little too precious but i did enjoy lots of pieces of it i enjoyed black widow and spider woman's day out at the spa until hawkeye crashes it and then anne crashes it behind hawkeye and i like that whole interaction but i felt at times that we we veered a little too closely towards you know the uh look how awesome i am vibe which can get in the way of of some of the some of those stories. We
2: don't have it on the uh, on the script this week, but are you are you reading Superior Foes of Spider Man yet?
0: No, I, I have them all. I just haven't read them yet. It's which is
2: which is interesting because he was writing the first arc of this. Nick Spencer. Yeah. He and,
0: could, he could wrote the last arc with Alice Scott. Yeah. But the
2: but this this you know new volume. Is I feel like such a departure from what Secret Avengers originally was. Not the setup, but the tone, the whole vibe of it. Yeah,
1: the tone is very, very different from what I remember.
2: But it seems like this is a little bit closer to what Superior Foes of Spider Man is. But I feel like that's a little bit more successful in terms of the humor, right? Um, And 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 it's it's at first I was like that's I thought it was really trying. It was it was you know aping the Hawkeye thing. But then it came into its own and it's, it's quite honestly, that, that was sort of my number three book this week, Superior Foes. Right. This one? You got to get caught up on that.
1: (laughs) I think the thing about Secret Avengers that I, I mean, it is kind of its own thing, but it's using Hawkeye and Black Widow and Spider Woman and they've all kind of been very much in Hawkeye. Mm Mm-hmm and so when you've got a style that is really similar and borrowing some of the same gags on top of having those same characters there were moments that felt like it was trying to be Hawkeye
2: like it it, it begs the comparison and right it's, like you know not quite there
1: like there's a whole scene where they're in a russian bathhouse and so everybody is fighting either in towels or without towels because right. of Clint. Uh, and there's there's the gag with um, the classic Hawkeye over Hawkeye's little Hawkeye, right? Right. Um, and then they repeat the same thing with Spider Woman, where she has a potential boob slip, right?
2: Um,
1: and it just felt—I was like, really?
2: It's a—it's a fine line. Really? <laughs> that's that's a, that's a tricky thing to get right. That kind of comedy.
1: I mean, you it know, was the comedy beats, especially were,
2: in a collaborative medium, right?
1: Method. And and it worked well for what it was, but it was a gag that I'd seen somewhere else mm-hmm. with the same people.
0: Right. Yeah, I, guess I get that. That's where the sort of comparison comes from. Although I do like there's this corner of the Marvel Universe where the tone is like this with Hawkeye, this book, and I guess Superior Foes also. Mm-hmm. This is very irreverent, and the art style is very not what you'd expect. So I do like that. And I'm willing to give this a couple more goes to see if it sort of settles down into its... Own groove, and it can still this tone can stay as long as you know it, it just felt like it was trying very, very hard, mm-hmm. um, yeah, th- to, be, to be irreverent. And which is fine, you can have funny books, but I just I don't know. I did, I did, I I did like the audacity of it, I did like the art a lot. Um, I do like these characters together, I think it's always fun when Hawkeye is on a team with all of his ex girlfriends. <laughs> um, so we'll see. I was just very surprised by it. A very different art style. I mean, to the, I love the Tradmore cover, but uh, yeah, doesn't really give yeah. you an indication no, what you're in no
1: for. No, no, doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely a fun surprise when you opened it, and I did yeah. like it. Like mm-hmm.
0: I, I, I just, yeah, I didn't I didn't dislike it at all. It it just felt at times like like maybe wince a few times, but you know, I'm willing to give it some more t- more trouble or more issues to get the trouble. I don't know what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> it just uh, needs to find its feet. I think.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly what I'm trying to say trouble they're all the same. Uh Paul mentions Superior Foes of Spider-Man. I know the first volume is out, so if you want to yes. check that out, go to iFanboy.com slash Amazon. That's where you can find a link to Amazon.com where you can make your purchases. It gives us a small percentage of that purchase, which comes out of Amazon's pocket and not yours, and it helps the show, helps us keep in new equipment and run the run everything, keep the website going, everything that we need to do to keep iFanboy alive and really, we really appreciate that. You can also help us directly by going iFamboy.com slash registration. And for $3 a month or $30 a year, or you can donate any amount you want, you can help us directly and not have to make anything purchase from Amazon because they just upped their prime fee to $99. So maybe you don't want to do that, you can just go to ifmway.com slash registration directly and help. So we appreciate that, every one of you. that. You're the ones we talk about at the very top of the show who the show is supported by. So everyone who does that, we thank you. And, uh, now and we're going we're
2: gonna we're gonna need that this year because St Patrick's Day St Patrick's Day is coming up, and Connor's gonna accidentally drink the toner again. We're gonna need to get back.
0: Oh, toner so delicious. The Royals, the Masters of War number two. Paul, we loved this first issue. came out last month, and sure. it was about the superpowered royal bloodlines in the various countries around World War Two. And um, was this was this the same artist this time? Uh I don't know. it was much more it's
1: Simon Colby is yeah, on that this is,
0: issue. That's is the same artist. It seemed much more photo referency this time than the last one.
2: It did. Um and which I, I understand cuz
0: historical figures in it but also you know
2: it has a thing where you're you're drawing you're trying to get a likeness of of an historic figure and sometimes you're really on and then sometimes not so much they look like they got punched in the face a bunch of times. Yeah, I mean, so you got Church, Winston Churchill, Churchill's,
0: and there's he's great. But then there's one panel where he looks exactly like an actor who played Winston Churchill in a movie, but he's not. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but uh, we got FDR in here. Image search.
1: Well,
0: that's the other thing. So Churchill's like dead on for a lot of it, but FDR looks nothing like FDR for the entire issue.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: That's just that's just the kind of thing that gets in the way of when you're photo referencing. And one guy looks exactly right. The other guy looks exactly wrong. It just. It takes me out of the story because I'm trying to figure out what happened. Did he not photo reference FDR at all? Or, and you know, it just becomes problematic. But exactly. uh, this, this issue, the Japanese entered the story, and the and
2: Americans. It's... We get to see the Allies. Right. <laughs> so they
1: were adorable.
2: <laughs> I just I love the whole conceit of this book. This is just this is just a fun idea. Um, it just I think it's just one of those winning pitches. And I think other than the the art hiccups in this issue, I think we're onto onto something really cool.
0: Right, no, I do love the story. I think the story's great, and I think but this just,
2: is this is sort of one of those hidden gems that i I haven't heard people talking about, and I think they should um, is a six
0: issue mini, according to the
2: cover now um yeah, but I think, uh,
1: it'll, I think maybe when it comes out in trade, it'll pop up more right um, so we we
0: have the jealous uh prince who is uh, does not like what's going on. he's a very grumpy mustache mm-hmm. and uh he sort of causes lots of trouble in this issue and then. And the Japanese emperor comes, and you're
2: in, in love with your own sister, man.
0: <laughs> Awkward. So yeah. To
2: which, to which Winston Churchill goes, "Christ
1: Almighty." <laughs> really quiet. <laughs> like again.
2: <laughs>
0: um. So speaking of Hawkeye, Hawkeye seventeen came out, and yeah. Um. I was
2: I was going through. I was like, this is going to be divisive.
0: I thought this was very self indulgent. Yeah. And uh, I did not enjoy it.
2: So the conceit of this, we have it's it's David Aja's as bookends, right? And it's Clint is is watching with his neighbors. He's watching a, a Christmas special, and they they acknowledge in the editor's notes in the back that yeah, this one was a little late. It was del- so, you know, the combination of the issue being very delayed and just right. not timely at all. Um, plus, it's a really <laughs> esoteric kind of idea.
0: And uh, um, the art was great. Chris Eliopoulos got to draw the Christmas special art, which took place over all but two pages of the issue, and that was fine. I just didn't care. I don't know
2: why. See, I mean, so they're trying. They're they're trying for this metaphor, right? That that Hawkeye is well is Steve the dog. Oh, I got that. But it's just, yeah, you know, like, but it doesn't they're you know. mixing too many metaphors? Like this Christmas special is like a it's a multi-denominational, right. You know, it's every different religion. Are different animal mascots in this Christmas special, and it doesn't—it doesn't feel like it's aping any one Christmas special, you know. So it's—it's it's not a one-to-one kind of analog it, kind of thing. Well, and yeah. I
0: talked talk before about the, the, that tone being the danger of it being too precious. This is what I was talking about. Yeah, this is this is it veering off. The table. But what
2: I mean is that so uh, okay, I, I get the idea. Like he's daydreaming and he's doubting himself. I also don't know how it exactly connect to the previous issue of Hawkeye. Doesn't. Not in any way. And yeah, which it, ends on a huge cliffhanger. So it's right. like what is this?
1: I know I kind it's, of I like when a I filler to get this back on. Sorry. Oh no, good. Uh no, but when um when I opened this one up, I was really annoyed. Um because not only is it not, you know, picking up where the last issue that I read, which was like giant cliffhanger right dropped off but this it felt like this was a christmas issue that they wrote not for this christmas the christmas before Mm -hmm. and then scrapped it because they did the Sandy issues right Mm -hmm. um and it just and again and it's it's coming out in march so it's not really near a holiday it just it it felt like an afterthought. It's this of, island of misfit toys
2: kind of thing, where he's, you know, where it do you is. belong? And
1: like, I, I, yeah. I don't need very
2: every, bad timing.
0: I don't need every holiday story to be out in the holidays, but if it does, then it needs to be interesting and and say something. And I don't think this had, I don't think it had anything to say.
1: I and mean, it's it, the other thing too. Is it's yeah, it's a great insight into Clint's issues and his. Psyche and his character, but we know all of this. Right. It it doesn't move it's, his character along. It doesn't tell us anything new.
2: Yeah, it's, it's um, uh, belaboring the point.
1: Right, and I think for it to come out now, it only highlights that it's belaboring the point. Like I normally love an issue like this around. Christians. Yes. Yeah. Like if this came out when I think it probably was written, I think I would have thought it was adorable, um, right. or menorable <laughs> There's some clever the stuff on there, but, you know. Um, but, yeah, like, it just... I I'd just, rather they just
0: not put the issue out. And just I'll wait two months for the next issue. I'd rather they just do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Avengers Undercover, number one. I wanted to highlight this simply because I didn't want anybody to miss it because of the title change. But this is actually the next issue of Avengers Arena. Uh, it's it's the aftermath of, of the of the kids getting out of world and the world finding out what happened and the, all the fallout. And it basically was a entire issue of PTSD. Uh, kids going through ptsd and i thought it was really good again yeah. i mean first we loved avengers arena it's the same creative team it's dennis hopeless on writing and and kev walker on the art and you know picks up right where left off basically in terms of the quality and
2: kev walker's um, wonderful um yeah. and so is dennis hopeless um i think i i love this the, the whole conceit of it, it's this overarching story and like you said this is sort of chapter two and um if there's one downside to this it's because it's a new number one issue there's a lot of exposition here explaining you sort of what happened and just setting and and you're also doing this little jump because everyone's moved on to you know another status quo so um and and maybe maybe chase's new design is a little weird
0: yeah i mean it's a a little anachronistic uh,
2: no i well i mean i mean the look it's he's got this mohawk faux hawk thing and it doesn't feel entirely timely. Although Chase is a little lame himself, so I think really, Chase I think... trying to be kind of cool would would not. It, he would be able to pull it off. So I maybe think there's that's some interesting point. things to
0: say about you know reality television and celebrity and how they sort of become reality TV stars out of this, even though it's a horrible thing that happened. People treat them as if it's a TV show they watched. You know, even that one guy even called it a webisode. Yeah, um, and
2: uh, the, and with the, the, the hazmat vignette, basically uh, that's what it is. A bunch of vignettes um, up until they meet up at towards the end of the issue um the guy is basically you know sort of uh armchair quarterbacking it saying you know what he would have done you know instead of hazmat making the most mistakes and she was awful and it's sort of like the uh sort of like the jay and silent bob strike back thing like you're there you right. overhear them and so you, <laughs> and so she lays out some toxic waste basically and um confronts him on it uh, i feel like it was a
0: little bit of uh you know Getting back at people, there was even a mention in in of uh, the lair that had not only the mystery of where Arcade was, but also the list of people that were dicks to them online. And this was a very controversial book that had a lot of people being dicks to them online. I'm in it, so I wonder if it was a little bit of meta commentary mm-hmm. there. But uh, mm-hmm. hopelessly even mentioned it in his little essay in the back. how oh, he was not prepared for the backlash. But um,
2: I, I, you know, it's great
0: if you liked Avengers Arena, please continue with this book. It was it was. Really I think funny.
2: my favorite scene and my favorite character is the Death Locket. Bit where uh, this scientist that's working yes. on on her says, You know, you were my favorite and I liked all the choices you made. You were sort of the hero of the whole thing. She's like, I killed my best friend. What is wrong with you?
0: Right. You know, it's totally, it's totally the nature of celebrity you know, in the modern age. It was,
2: it was good. I was really, really good.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Nightwing 29 was the final issue of that series because Nightwing was killed in the last issue of Fear- Forever Evil, which Don't no talk about. Is again. that
2: what happened? I read Forever Wait, Evil what? last <laughs> <Yeah>. week. <laughs> again.
0: No, uh, if a if an
2: event falls in the woods and no
0: one makes a sound, does it actually happen? But, uh, yeah. I well, Lexus, read Lexus that issue. wing
2: in Nightwing in that issue, and he died. And, Incomprehensible. I got I got the feeling that he died. Like right. that's what, but that's what was happening. But I thought the storytelling was so muddled in that I wasn't sure. So I didn't read this. But what 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 happened? Was, I mean,
0: it was it, it wrapped up the storyline he's been having on his own in Chicago, and I thought this book was really good up until he went to Chicago, and it to kind of. Kind of Got it. Got really uninteresting for a long time, but I thought this issue was a really, really nice wrap up to that story. To N- Nightwing, I don't want to say wrap up to his character because he doesn't die in this issue, but he sort of flies, you know, swings off into the sunset in this issue. I'm assuming he's not really going to be dead for very long, and/or really dead at all. But this was a way to wrap the series up. I'm sure they can reboot it, new number one, new creative team, if they just decide he's not dead. But uh, if you're a fan of Nightwing, this was a really one of the stronger issues of the whole series. And uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit, but yeah, I mean, you you can tell how irrelevant the whole situ- the whole comic book death thing has become becoming. That I'm not even upset that it killed off my favorite, one of my second favorite characters. So, whatever.
2: It's also just been that shoe waiting to drop because right, I mean, Identity has been gunning for him for years, and gunning for him exactly. And open he, season on Dick Grayson. Forever
0: Evil isn't over. He may or may not come back in the next issue. Anything can happen in, in comics, but yeah, that's what happened. He's dead. Okay. Not not, not, not in this book. He still lives on. He lives on in my heart, Paul. (laughs) Uh,
2: Powerpuff Girls number seven. I thought this was a really good companion to uh, Stray Bullets. Yes. (laughs)
1: Excellent.
2: It's very nihilistic. It it ends on a a note of hopelessness. It actually does.
1: (laughs) It actually does end on a note of hopelessness. Does it really? Um, It does. It does it's, it's it's a cliffhanger. It's it's a Powerpuff Girls no more moment almost. That, Can that's you guys
0: exactly explain to me I don't know anything about Powerpuff Girls or what they are who they, who they are what they do. So you have to give me a primer. So there of... are
2: these three little girls who were created in a laboratory from sugar spice and everything nice. Mm-hmm. And Chemical by, X. And Chemical X. They're sort of like the metal men. Hmm, interesting. And and they have sort of the same you know relationship with the professor who created them. Um but Al, you go ahead. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I mean I the Powerpuff Girls, I've probably I was a big fan of the cartoon. Um it was one of those it was probably one of the first batch of Cartoon Network original programming.
2: Yeah. yeah um when they out. first
1: came on the air. Um and I just they're these adorable little girls with superpowers. And it's a great um,
2: simple little design, sort of this kind of thing with really bold lines and
1: right. Um and there's kind of like there's Blossom, who is, uh, I mean, they're probably all the same age, but I always think of her as the oldest one, and she's, she's kind of the leader. Of leader. Um, and then there is Buttercup, who is my personal favorite because she's the brunette, um, <laughs> but she's really she's really scrappy and she's really tough, uh, and she's very sarcastic. And then there is Bubbles, who is a Probably the most adorable, and she loves animals, and she has like the highest voice.
2: Um, you know what? They're and, a little bit Josie and the Pussycats.
1: Yeah, in terms they are of the characterization. a bit Josie and the Pussycats.
2: There's an analog for each of them, and so this is by Derek Charm, who did the story and art. And basically, they find out that in Townsville, where they you know they protect the town, um, it's Monster Day, and all the big kaiju are coming from Monster Island, basically, and they're going to attack the town. And by the end of it, they realize that there are just way too many monsters. There's wave after wave, and no matter what they do, the monsters keep on coming. And they decide, you know what? We're gonna wait till Monster Day's over. We're gonna come back and clean up. And so they, they're like at the end, they're all beaten and bruised, and they say, "So it's decided. We, we're giving up." And it's like Ali said, it's "Sort of Spider-Man, no more" kind of moment, walking through the alleyway, mm. and a cliffhanger until next
1: time. Uh,
2: this looks just like the cartoon, and it's it does. beautiful.
1: I think I think they really did a good job of translating um, the colors and some of the art for comics as opposed yes. to for the animation. So like the colors are a lot more textured, which I like.
2: Um, yeah the backgrounds are really interesting.
1: The backgrounds are really interesting, and the they're I'm assuming that um, Derek Charm did the colors too, because there's no colorist listed. Yeah they just have him at story and art. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it is, and it's a really good translation from animation to comic, which I know can sometimes be a little bit difficult, but I mean, it perfectly captures that tone of, uh, of the cartoon. Um, I mean, I think really the only difference is, is in the cartoon, like you'd have like two episodes in one 30 minute slot. Mm-hmm. So they kept them really short. Uh, so I feel like. If this was an episode of Powerpuff Girls, it would have been like completed at the end.
2: <laughs> yeah, I thought you know, I oh. thought it was a really, I thought it was a funny script. I thought it, I thought it was well written. Um, some of these are, are, you know, there's a lot of cartoon adaptations lately, and you know, I think there there's some that are better than others. Like you know, Adventure Time, I think, is an example of a good one that captures the tone of the series. This one does. Yeah. And then there, there are some lesser ones, which I, uh, I who enjoy.
0: publishes this one?
1: IDW.
2: IDW. Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. So, those are the books that we wanted to talk about, and uh, let's
0: do an audience question, which is actually associated with this very subject.
3: Mm -hmm. Hey, guys, my name is Kyle. I'm from Canada, uh, Winnipeg, to be more specific. But I thought I'd call and just, um, I guess, ask a question, and just to mention one thing, or more accurately, thank you, guys. I lost my eyesight or the majority of my eyesight when I was in about grade five. So I wasn't able to read comics until the iPad recently came out um, a few years ago and I'm able to read them now. But in between that point, your podcast was what basically get me informed on comics. And so you guys gave up your time to do those other sort of things. And for people like me, it was much appreciated. So I just want to say thank you for that. Um, Now that I read comics again, though, because I can somewhat see them, um, I just wanted to ask you guys a question. I've noticed as of late, a lot of the cartoons that have come out have been, you know, like Young Justice, which has been really good. And then fans have seemed to react negatively to some things like Ultimate Spider-Man or Teen Titans Go and that kind of stuff. Now, my daughter, who's six, and my other daughter, who is four, loves things like Teen Titans Go. It's one of their favorite shows. But a lot of the fans seem to find it frustrating or annoying or think it's silly, stupid, what have you. And it got me thinking that fans that don't seem to get the fact that these younger-aimed shows are what make young kids into comic fans and will keep the industry going. Do you think that comic book fans in general, if this segment does represent the general group, um... Does more of a detriment to the art or to the longevity of comics in general, or do you think I'm just sort of crazy? <laughs> All right. Thanks guys.
0: So I'm glad Kyle, that you've been able to a read comics again and be that we've been able to help in any small way in your enjoyment of them. Absolutely. And it makes things like that are, are really great to hear. Uh, and it helps keep us going. But uh, let's get to your larger point, which is animation. And you basically hit many nails on the head with one fell swoop. And that is, that a lot of, you know, there aren't, there aren't comics in newsstands, there aren't comics really in uh, supermarkets except for Archie. And yeah, it used to be the way that a lot of kids found comics. And these days, I think the strategy appears to be that Marvel and DC are going for kids in the, in the animation world. At least on the, you know, weekly series, you know, with, with all Spider-Man and Avengers Assemble and, and Teen Titans Go all being squarely aimed at the uh, four to eight bracket. Um, which is what we've been told, and they are, That's if you watch them, they're aimed they're at younger kids, and you were right, that adult fans get mad because adult fans don't like when anything, that their characters aren't aimed at them.
2: There's this sort of completionist thing where right. it's like, it has Batman in it? I gotta have it. It's gotta be for me. So if it's not for their demographic, they can lash out sometimes and be like, this is silly, this is not for me. But there's so much other Batman for you. <laughs> And the thing that Kyle
0: right. said is per, is absolutely right. His daughter loves it because she is the target audience. And that's great that she loves it because that is how well, how a lot of kids get into these characters through licensed material like toys and stuff and through these cartoons. and And that's feel, how these characters are going to live on.
1: I feel like there's been some really <laughs> – this is going to sound not how I want it to sound. But there's been some really great animation that has kind of worked either for all ages or for – the older demographic of comic fans
0: mm-hmm. that
1: is, is wonderful. But at the same time, I think, you know, we go into it and or, yeah, I think there are some fans who go into it and they're like, well, I want this to be like Bruce Timm's justice league and Teen Titans go is not supposed to be that. And it's,
0: and it's awesome because it's not. Never, I, exactly. If everything was the same. It would be boring. I love the fact there's a comedic goofy, you know, show that appeal. I think, I think Teen Titans go appeals to, Kids and adults.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I th- I think it's a good all ages kind of thing, um, because it's it's something that I, I think a four and six year old would enjoy, um, and you know their parents aren't going to be like, oh my god, what is that thing on in the background that I have to listen to. Um, so I, I mean I th- I think it works, but um, kind of exactly these, what Paul these said. There's there's, are there's, there's a lot of Batman stuff. for a lot of people and. You need Batman
0: for kids. <laughs> His characters are strong enough to withstand many different interpretations. One of them being a sort of sillier, more kid-friendly version. And look, kids can enjoy Bruce Timm stuff. I know for a fact. My friend S- Scott's four-year-old nephew loves the Bruce Timm Justice League cartoons. And is constantly texting him because kids at young apparently text, or maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe he's six. Um, questions about the characters, in which he then turns to me and asks me the answers for that he doesn't know. He knows most of them, but not all of them. Um, but uh, so they can enjoy that too, but they can also, you know, it's okay to have stuff aimed especially for them. And that's a lot of comic fans have problems with that because, as Paul said, they see these characters that they feel emotional ownership of and they think everything has to be with those characters has to be for them. And it's just not.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But I, I also think, you know, we've got characters that are now 75 years old, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different versions of them. And I think you've got to be more accepting that they're, you know, someone's going to come along and do something completely different. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you know what the adults get? They get the comics and they get the blockbuster summer movies and they get exactly. Arrow and they get Flash and they get Agents of Shield and they get Constantine and they get Gotham and they get a lot of there's a lot of adults get a lot of stuff. <laughs> so you can let the kids have the Saturday morning cartoons. That's what they're there for anyway. Or I don't even know when they're on, but that's that's what I assume they're on. But they're on uh,
2: all the time, man. DVR, <laughs> right. you can watch whenever you want. Sorry, right. they don't even they don't even watch them Saturday mornings.
1: It's a twenty four hour cartoon cycle. So, Kyle, thank you very much for that
0: uh, voicemail. We appreciate it, and, and thanks for listening, and keep on reading. And I'm glad your daughter enjoys those cartoons very much. It makes me happy. And if you're like, you want to be like Kyle, you can leave us a voicemail at 888 fanboy three two six two six nine seven. You can, uh, with your question, tell us who you are, where you're from. Keep it around 30 seconds. Kyle's a little long, but I had a lot of good stuff to talk about, and so we used it. You can also email us at contact.ifanboy.com, and you can get your voice on the show. Have, you, have your opinions heard. We always like the audience questions. Those are always fun.
2: So speaking of animation, remember that later on this month, Marvel is putting out Avengers Confidential, Black Widow, and Punisher. We'll be doing a special edition podcast on that, like we've been doing with the DC animated movies all this time, We we because it looked pretty good. Um, yeah. Actually, it's a, it's available right now, uh, like digital places, so you can watch it on iTunes, I think, but it comes out on disc uh, on the 25th or something this month. So we'll be talking about it that week. Yes. Connor, what are you working on? Uh, Well, if you're on social media, you saw that I
0: tweeted out about a new video game that my company I work for has been working on for a while now, and it's finally sort of been announced. And you can find it at graygoo.graybox.com, and it's a new RTS game, uh, which if you're a fan of those like StarCraft, it's going to be lots of fun. There's uh, three different different alien races, and, uh, you know, build a giant army and go at each other. So... Go to gregu.graybox.com. Check that out if, that's, if it's interesting, interesting to you. And if you follow me on Twitter or Facebook, I'll be posting things randomly. The art uh, looks great.
2: The concept art stuff. There's Weta Workshop. Con- concept art by Weta Workshop. That's Beautiful. Cool. Uh,
0: they did the character designs. They did the world designs. And Petroglyph, the uh, studio behind Command & Conquer, uh, did the game developing itself. So it's got, you know, looks fantastic. Great pedigree. So if you're an RTS fan. It's uh, got mechs. It's got mechs. mechs. <laughs> Paul's very excited for the mech Love action. So she, Gobble uh, them up. Grey Goo comes out later this year, comes out in the fall, but there'll be more news uh, co- co- you know, coming out pretty regularly until then.
2: Cool. Uh, remember also FuzzyTypewriter.com. You can check out our latest podcasts. What are we doing? We just finished. We wrapped up True Detective. I'm so sorry that's over, but you can listen to our commentary on each and every one of those episodes. We're still talking about Justified. Uh, and I think we're going to be talking about the, the new Veronica Mars movie coming up. So check that out. Ooh, yeah.
0: Head over to iFanboy.com to comment on this show, talk about this week's books, and also to find all other podcasts like Paul mentioned, his his Akira talks book explodes are on there. Yeah. The, occasion, the occasional talks blows. And you can also find the animation shows, all that stuff at iFanboy.com.
2: Good month at iFanboy.com.
1: And you can follow the guys on Twitter at twitter.com slash iFanboy uh, or Facebook.com slash iFanboy to find out what the pick of the week is before the show is downloaded into your iTunes or however you listen to it. Um, and you can follow us individually on Twitter at, at @WonderAlley, Wonder at KS Kilpatrick, and at Fuzzy Typewriter.
0: That's a C. C. S. Kilpatrick.
1: Oh. <laughs> You're not Connor C-O-N-N-O-R?
0: <laughs> it's actually K-O-N-N-E-R. Okay, but- damn
1: it. Yeah, I need to go back to Sesame Street apparently.
0: And uh, just for completion's <laughs> sake, Jay flat against Josh's, and we actually didn't create a Twitter account for his second son because <laughs> we do it with a, the second <laughs> son doesn't get it. anything good. He's a gets a hand accounts. me down
2: Twitter. account. Who knows if we'll even be using Twitter by the time Probably not. Type in? Oh my gosh. Okay, and finally, if you dig this sort of thing, you can write us a review on iTunes. We greatly appreciate that. Better yet, tell all the people you know about it. Go out on your roof, yell out the URL. Short blur, but what it is, some of your favorite books, your favorite episodes, let people know about it, spread the love around.
0: So that's it for this week's show. Allie, thank you very much for coming on at short notice when Josh had his uh, family uh, edition. So thank you. And, thank you. Uh, you did very well considering that you're actively drunk at this very moment.
1: Uh, You know, <laughs> you do what you got to do. I, I learned it from from listening to you, Connor. <laughs>
0: no, no, one should. No one should do that. But I appreciate it. Thank you very much for coming. We look forward to having you on again very soon. Until then, I'm Connor.
1: I'm Ellie.
2: And I'm Paul. Goodbye.